Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me as we worship the Lord Jesus today. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis, uh, chapter 24. How many of you remember the kids' song? You know, Joe and Susie sitting in the tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First came love, then came marriage, then came baby in a baby carriage. Well, that uh, is how it normally works for most people. Not everybody, but most people. We meet someone fall in love, become husband and wife, and then have a family. I remember uh, Monisa and me, but you know, all, all of us have our love story. Monisa and I do as well. And I remember, I remember when we started dating, the very first time I held her hand, I can still picture exactly where we were and, and how good it felt to me. I remember the first time I we kissed. I remember our wedding. I remember the birth of our children. And I know many of you have your own love story. And and we wanted to have children, but uh, Monisa wanted to have children a little bit sooner than I did, and we had to figure out when was the right time for us. Our son and his wife have three children, and they want to have more. And so the discussion between them is, will it be five children or four children? And they'll make their own decision that's right for them. And and again, most couples, they as I said, they, they meet, they fall in love, they get married, and they say, we're going to have a family. We're going to have children. How many and when is up to each family. But we all have a story, and that's how it works for most people. But, you know, that, that little kid song, you know, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first came love, then came marriage, then came baby in a baby carriage. What we don't always think about and talk a lot about when we're falling in love and getting married and, and thinking, hey, we're going to have some babies, we're going to have children, is what comes next? What's down the road? I mean, all of us know that, that raising children and, and having a family takes a lot of work and a lot of responsibility comes with it. That, uh, and, and we've all lived long enough to understand that sometimes it works out really well and people are happy. But other times it doesn't work out so well and families are not happy. They end up in either troubled marriages uh, or divorce. They end up quite often with troubled kids. And today, I want us to think about how, 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 how can go well for us? What can we do so that it doesn't go badly, doesn't end in a troubled marriage, doesn't end in divorce, doesn't end with children who don't love Jesus? How can the K-I-S-S-I-N-G and that love story of you know, falling in love and getting married and have children, how, how can the future, how can the rest of the story ju- be just as exciting and just as happy and just as positive as the beginning? of the story. Well, I want us to look at a love story in the Bible in Genesis chapter 24. It's the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac, many of you will remember, was Abraham and Sarah's son. He was the the heir of, of Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. Through him and his descendants, uh, the, the Jewish people came to be. His mom, Sarah, had recently died, and he was, he was grieving. And Abraham had his, uh, his chief servant travel back to the homeland where he had moved from when he first came to Canaan all those years earlier. And from the extended family there, choose a wife. Now, you have to remember this is in ancient times. It was an arranged marriage. And, and there's this beautiful young woman. And as you read the story, of uh, uh, her story in Genesis, not only is she beautiful, but she has a very kind and tender heart. And she is selected to be Isaac's wife. And 
And so the servants are bringing her from that homeland up in Mesopotamia down to Canaan where, where Abraham is still living and where Isaac as a young man is, is living. And it's a beautiful story of how they meet. Genesis chapter 24, beginning at verse 63, the Bible says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done in arranging the marriage with Rebekah. Verse 67, Then Isaac brought her, brought Rebekah, into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and then these beautiful words, and he loved her, and he loved her. That's all we're told about the beginning of the relationship between Isaac and Rebekah. But over the years, as I've read this story time and time again, I picture Isaac walking out into that field in the evening just after the sun is going down and he's meditating on the things of God and he sees this beautiful woman coming. Rebecca sees him and they marry and they fall in love and the Bible rarely says in the Old Testament what is said here that he loved her. It, 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 it highlights that, that this was the story of young love between Isaac and Rebecca. Well, after a few years, they wanted children like most of us, but Rebecca was barren, and so they, they went to the Lord. And in, and in the chapter 20, 25, at verse 21, the Bible says that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived, so she's pregnant. Verse 22, but the children, plural, she had twins, were struggling together within her, and she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? And so she went to inquire the Lord. So Isaac goes and prays for God to give him and his wife, Rebecca, children. And God answers that prayer, and she conceives twins. And it's not an easy pregnancy, and so she turns to the Lord. And in this brief account, we have here these, these two people, Isaac and Rebekah, who love each other. They want children. They pray to God, and he answers their prayer. She's pregnant, and she eventually gives birth to twins. Now, these two boys are as different as day and night. Esau is red-headed and has a lot of hair on his body. He's an outdoorsman who enjoyed hunting, and he was a daddy's boy, whereas his brother Jacob was an indoor kid. I mean, if he was alive today, he'd be playing video games all the time. He liked to cook, and he was a, a mama's boy. And problems started not just because these two boys were different. All children are different. Problems started because mom and dad, Isaac and Rebecca, began playing favorites. Esau was Jacob's, uh, uh, was was Isaac's favorite, and Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. And as time passed, and these boys grew, conflict developed between these two twin brothers. And uh, Esau was was you could say as a teenager and a young man was. Rebecca, rebellious and not very godly, whereas Jacob 
was a schemer and, and had no problem telling lies and conniving to get what he wanted. And as their parents, as Isaac and Rebecca took sides, they started gradually turning on each other and working with their favorite to get what the favorite wanted. And eventually it became really bad. And what developed was a very dysfunctional family and problems that would follow them for the rest of their lives. Now, none of us want that to happen to our family. None of us want our family to end up being dysfunctional, for brothers to not get along, for, for husbands and wives to choose sides and, and that create conflict in the marriage. And I think you and I can learn some lessons from the story of Isaac and Rebecca and, and how they related to each other, how they related to their children. We, we can learn some lessons that can, that can help us. We can learn some things to do and some things not to do. And so over the next few moments, what I want to share with you from this story is a couple of warnings, two warnings that we need to pay heed to, and then two positive steps that we need to take. So a positive step for each of the warnings uh, that we get from this story. So here's the first warning. A good start does not guarantee a good journey in marriage, in family, in life. A good start does not guarantee a good journey, let alone a good finish. You remember back in chapter 24 of Genesis, verse 67, they started out really well. As the Bible says, Isaac loved Rebecca. They had a good start. I believe there was love. There was romance. They loved each other. But then along the way, things gradually changed and the relationship deteriorated. Dysfunction crept in. What happened? What happened? Well, when you read the story in all of these chapters of Genesis of, about Isaac and Rebecca, the only thing that seems to really stand out that created problems in their family was the children, how they parented the children, how they related to the children, and then how that impacted their marriage. In fact, every problem they had in the succeeding chapters of Genesis can be traced to their children and the relationship between them because of how they related to their kids. Uh, and, and, And you and I need to remember that in the very beginning, When God created the husband and the wife in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Nowhere in Scripture does that commandment cease once we have children. Even after we have children, we are still to cling to, be one with, be united with, be connected to in a very intimate way with our wife, with our husband. The very thing God commanded us to do, the kind of relationship he commanded us to have as husband and wife when we first marry is the same kind of relationship we are supposed to have after we have our family After we have our children, the commandment to cling to one another does not cease simply because we have children. And as a pastor, I've seen enough over the years that I am convinced one of the major problems we have in America today is that in too many homes, once children come, that commandment of God is forgotten. 
the commandment of God to cleave to one another and to cultivate intimacy in our marriage is ignored, placed on the side burner, placed on the back burner, if you will, while we focus our attention on raising our kids. I'm a father, I'm a grandparent, grandparent, so I, I realize all the stress, I realize the challenges, I realize the demands of raising children, but brothers and sisters, we cannot put our relationship with our husband, our relationship with our wife on the back burner and say, once the kids are grown and out on their own, then we'll come back around to really paying attention to one another. God's commandment to cleave to our wife, to cleave to our husband, exists while we're raising our children as much as it does after the children are grown. And I believe one of the greatest gifts any couple can give their children is a great marriage. Because when kids know that mom and dad genuinely and enthusiastically love one another, children feel more secure. When children are able to observe their parents loving each other and being romantic with each other, you are teaching your children how to also have a great marriage once they are adults because they learn from watching you. That is the reason God says remain committed to one another, continue to cleave to one another, to be intimate with one another, and to be romantic with one another. So the first warning is a good start in your marriage, does not guarantee a good journey, let alone a good finish. And one of the things that will cause your journey to go south, that will cause your finish to not be good, is if you put children and other things in front of your marriage and don't take care of the romantic relationship you have with your spouse. So here's the first positive step. Here's the first action step we need to take. We need to keep love alive. In Genesis 24, when the Bible tells us that Isaac loved Rebekah, listen, they needed to continue having that kind of relationship while raising Esau and Jacob instead of allowing their favoritism toward Esau and Jacob to get in the way of their love for one another. Keep love alive alive in your marriage as you go through the challenging and exciting years of raising your children. The Old Testament book of Proverbs chapter 5 verses 18 and 19 tell us this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That means he's talking to people who are no longer young. You're, You're a little more aged. You're up there in the middle years. He says, let your fountain be blessed with the wife of your youth, the one you fell in love with and married when you were a young man. And then he says, as a loving hind, a deer, and as a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. And notice this, be exhilarated always with her love. Be exhilarated always with her love. Not simply when you are young and first married and don't have kids. Not later in life, only after you have the emptiness, but always when you are first married, when you are raising your children, and when you are in the emptiness phase, God says you are to be exhilarated in your love for each other. Um, and, and it requires us being intentional, intentional to keep romantic love alive in our marriage as the years pass and the responsibilities increase. I've uh, mentioned previously that recently Monisa and I kept our uh, grandchildren. We've done that different times. And one of the reasons 
we keep our grandkids is not only so we can have time with them and a relationship with them and influence them, but it's also so we can give their parents, our son and his wife, our daughter and her husband, time alone as a couple to renew their marriage, to renew their love, to make certain they don't sacrifice their bond because of all the demands of raising kids. When we were raising our children, every summer we would leave our children in Kentucky for two weeks with our grandparents and their cousins so they could have relationships with them. But it was like an annual honeymoon, if you will, for my wife and myself. And and that was very important to us staying connected and keeping love alive in our marriage. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm doing premarital counseling or marriage counseling with young couples and I suggest something like that. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes I get this look this look from them, especially from some of the young mothers who think it's crazy to leave your kids alone and just go on a vacation with my husband, with my wife. You have to be intentional about finding ways to keep love, to keep romance, to keep excitement in your marriage. And that is a gift you are giving your children. Failure to find practical ways to keep romantic love alive in your marriage ends up in the long run hurting your children. It disobeys God and it weakens your marriage. So the first warning from Rebecca and Isaac from their story and what happened in their dysfunctional family started off so well, but didn't end well. The first warning is a good start does not guarantee a good journey, let alone a good finish. You have to be intentional about keeping love in your marriage alive. Now, there's a second warning, and it's this. Wrong priorities. Having the wrong priorities will lead to wrong parenting decisions. And when we make wrong parenting decisions, it usually leads to trouble. See, at the center of the conflict that ultimately developed between Isaac and Rebecca was their children, but it was also their attitude about possessions, about money, about stuff, about material things. Because each of their boys were spoiled. Each of their boys wanted stuff. And Rebecca had her favorite, and 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 she maneuvered to see that her favorite got all the stuff he wanted. Isaac had his favorite, and he maneuvered to see that his favorite had the stuff that he wanted. And as you read later in the book of Genesis, Rebecca ended up plotting with her favorite, with Jacob, to trick her husband into giving Jacob what he wanted, more stuff. Now, in the long run, Jacob and Esau both ended up later in life being very, very wealthy. But in the process of focusing on possessions, as those boys focused on material things and as mom and dad focused on material things, it tore their family apart. And all of us as parents want to give our children a a good life. We want to give them the American dream. We want them to have a good quality education, to live in a nice house and have nice clothes and toys. We want to give them every advantage we can give them, whether it's you know in sports or in the arts, whatever it happens to be. The problem is that in doing all of this, sometimes we neglect the most important thing they need from us. We neglect helping them have a life changing relationship 
with Jesus Christ because we are so focused on giving them everything else that we fail to be intentional about giving them what they need most, that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a warning. That's a warning from the story of Rebecca and Isaac because in this story, they're focused on giving their kids stuff what they wanted, but there's no record of them being intentional at all in terms of discipling their children, teaching them how to love God. And it tore the family apart. The positive step number two, the second action that I want to encourage us to take in response to this warning is that each of us need to be intentional and disciple our own children. Disciple our own children. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, everything begins in my life as a dad or a husband in, 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 in your life as, a, as a, a mother or a wife, all of it begins with, do we love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength? Is he our Lord God? Everything rises and falls on that. And then Deuteronomy 6 continues in verse 6. These words, God says, which I am commanding you today for us in in Rock Hill and wherever at wherever you're watching this today, for us it's the word of God. It's the it's the word of God. It's the scripture. He says, These words I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Is God's word in your heart? The Bible says we are to hide his word in our heart so we may not sin against him. Is God's word in your heart? And then in verse seven he adds, And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons. And speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, God's word is to be so ingrained in you that it shapes you and you love him with all your heart. His word fills all your heart and it is natural. It is natural. For you to talk to your sons, for you to talk to your daughters about the Word of God when you're sitting in the house, when you're walking down the street, when you're driving in the car, whatever you're doing in life, the Word of God permeates your being and you love God with everything you are and you're teaching your children His Word and how to love Him. That is the duty God has given to every parent. It's not simply your duty as a parent to take your kids to Sunday school. It's not simply your duty as a mom or a dad to see that your teenager shows up at youth groups. Your duty is to do that, but your duty is to show them and to teach them how to love God and how to have his word in your heart so it can be in their heart. The Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 78, verse 5, for he, for God. Established a testimony, a story. God, God had done things in the life of Israel, just as he's done things in my life and in your life. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law. We have his word. God has given us his word, which he, which God commanded, listen to this, commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Dads, what are you doing to teach the word of God to your sons, to your daughters? Moms, what are you doing to teach the word of God to your daughters, 
to your sons? What are you... What are you doing to share your story of how God is at work in your life, all that God is doing in your life, so that your kids can see from your own experience that God is real, he's alive, and he's working in your life? How are you showing that to your children? And then the book of wisdom in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, he's talking to children there. But listen, our sons cannot hear our instruction and our daughters cannot hear mom's teaching if we are not instructing and teaching in the first place. You cannot ask your kids to forsake what you are not personally teaching them. As a mom, a dad, as a parent, you are to be intentionally investing in teaching your children the Word of God, discipling your children, being their spiritual mentor. How many of you dads, how many of you dads are teaching your sons how to drive a car when they were young, how to throw a ball or how to shoot a basketball, how to dribble? How many, how many of you moms are teaching your daughters how to cook or how to swim or how to do math or how to braid her hair? We, we, we get down on our knees when they're young. We go out in the yard with them when they get a little older, get on the highway with them when they're wanting to learn how to drive. We, we are intentional about teaching our children to do so many things. And we're hands-on. We're involved. We're engaged How hands-on are you when it comes to the things of God? When we kept our grandkids recently, I was smiling as I watched my wife, Monisa, teach our granddaughters, Lily and Emily, how to break eggs. They were over there in the sink, and and they were breaking eggs, and how to do that without getting the shell in, in, in the dough. So she was making cookies and making pancakes and teaching them how to how to do all of that. A couple of times, Evan, my son-in-law, and I took our my grandson, uh, Liam, out in the backyard and got my air rifle and taught him how to hold it and how to handle it and how to use a scope. We're hands-on, but we also need to be just as hands-on in teaching our kids how to handle the Word of God, how to break the egg of God's Word, if you will, how to, how to take the truth of God's Word and, and not just like putting an egg in the dough to make cookies or, or the batter to make pancakes, but how to take the Word of God and put it into their heart, put it into their mind, put it into their lives so that they are transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real and lasting. Parents need to teach their kids. You need to teach your children how to read and understand the Word of God. Teach your children how to pray. Teach your children how to love Jesus. Teach your children how to witness. Teach your children how to grow spiritually. Teach your children how to worship. Not just go to church, but worship Jesus and love Jesus Christ. Are you the spiritual mentor in your child's life? God says you need to be came across two quotes that really spoke to my heart recently. I want to share share them with you. Someone said, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. Wow. If we don't teach our children to follow Jesus Christ, the world will teach them not to. 
And then here's a second quote. Children are great imitators. So give them something great to imitate. I like that. Children are great imitators. So give them something great to imitate. Let them imitate you. Let them learn from you what it means to love Jesus Christ with every fiber of your being. Let them learn from you what it means to read the word of God and to apply it to your life, to be transformed by him and his word. Let them learn from you how to love a wife, how to love a husband, how to put marriage first, not third, fourth, or fifth. Let them learn from you how to do it right, how to do it well, so they can be successful in life and happy in life when it comes to the things that matter most. And if you're going to do this, let me quickly add, you've got to be the real deal yourself. You have to be a disciple of Jesus if you're going to disciple your kids. And then you have to be engaged, as I said, and personally personally teach them. Just like I can remember when Stephen was little teaching him how to shoot under the basket with both hands because I wanted him to be as good with his left hand as he was with his right. What are you doing? In a very practical way to teach your kids how to live for Jesus Christ, how to love Jesus Christ. Our heart desire at First Baptist is to help you. One of our priorities is strengthening families. We want want every child of God in this church to be able to spiritually feed themselves, and we want to help parents teach their children how to be disciples of Christ. That's one of the reasons we continually uh, promote and encourage people to read the Word of God. That's why we have the Bible reading plan for 2021. You can download it from our website and begin reading the Word of God with us. You you can watch the video devotions that I release each morning at 5 o'clock, Monday through Friday, that relate to the chapter we're reading that day. You can get into the Word of God and begin growing as a disciple of Jesus. That's the reason the last Sunday of March, March 28, we have a very special day planned. We're calling it Parenting Matters. And Richard Ross, who I think is one of the best at speaking into the lives and hearts of parents so that they know how to disciple their kids, one of the best in the country, is going to be with us that day. And I want you to be here on March 28 and participate in this Parenting Matters Sunday. We will also be live streaming it for those of you who who are not able to be here. And so let me ask you a question. Are you mentoring your children spiritually? How is your marriage? How's the love and romance in your marriage? And secondly, what are you going to do differently this week to make both of those better? Take some time and answer those questions. Are you mentoring your children spiritually? How is the love and romance in your marriage? Of what are you, in a practical way, this coming week going to do to make both of those better? God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday.